And then the other flip side is that you you know you you carry all this stuff that you've seen and done, and you carry that with you. You know, you can't just like turn that off. And so there's an element of of people wanting you when you come home to just kind of like be who you were when you left. But like everyone else, you've experienced new things and you've changed and you've grown, and some of those are for the better and some of them aren't. And that's who you are now. Welcome to my first day. My name is Andrew Bracken. We have turning points throughout our lives. Or to put it another way, we all have many first days. In our last season, Ben Betts shared his story of training to become a Navy SEAL in an episode called Hell Week. We pick up with Ben after he's completed his mental and physical transformation into a Navy SEAL, where this new and extremely demanding lifestyle starts in earnest. Eventually, though, life intercedes again, and Ben grapples with what it's like to leave the SEALs and seeks to answer what lies next. Here's Ben Betts with his story of... My first day. I remember, yeah, graduating, and I remember having that, like, kind of moment where you're like, okay, this was kind of like, even though it actually really, really sucked, this was kind of the Hollywood part. I got to live here in Coronado and sort of play Navy SEAL every day, but I actually wasn't one yet, and I actually wasn't in that much danger of dying. Now we're going to go do this for real. Once training was over, well, even towards, even in the advanced part of training, we were out of town a lot, whether it was to do dive trips to places that we weren't familiar with, because we, we dove San Diego Bay so much that you could just throw me in San Diego Bay blindfolded, and within a few seconds, I'd know where I am. I remember the very first time I was in a firefight, like, afterwards, kind of realizing, like, what had happened, and that all of us, whether it was the guys who that was the first time that had happened, or whether it was guys who had been there for a long time basically slipped into that that mode of just operating on muscle memory and, and doing what you'd been trained to do. And and that wasn't that you couldn't break out of, of that, and if something unexpected happened and you couldn't, you know, think on your feet. It was just that there was a, there was a comfort in being able to do that because then it sort of freed up your mind to make those higher level decisions because all the little things about how to operate your weapon or how to maintain your formation as you're moving were, were so basic at that point that you didn't have to think about that. And it freed up your mind to, to make those other decisions. I think the myth is that the military sort of turns you into like some sort of like X-Men, Jason Bourne type character. On the one hand, some of that myth is true. You do learn how to do many of those things, but it's a very much a team-oriented thing and not an individual-oriented thing. The strength in what you've learned to do is in the ability to like rely on one another in order to accomplish things that you couldn't even conceive of doing on your own. Being a Navy SEAL, along with its often secretive work and not exactly 9-to-5 schedule, brought with it strong bonds within the tight-knit SEAL community, along with potential isolation from those outside it. 
in the beginning, it was so all-encompassing and just 24 hours a day, seven days a week that, you know, the brotherhood aspect was like something you really leaned heavily on. You just, you knew that the guys were always there, not just to work with, but after hours all the time. And you just did everything together. And, you know, there was even an element of really not including people who weren't part of the community because you just didn't have time for that kind of distraction. And and off, oftentimes you'd start getting disconnected from those people because you'd be out of town so much. Yeah, and, you know, you don't talk about Fight Club, right? So, you know, there's there's sort of that element. And, and initially the way that I handled it, and most guys handle it, is they just wouldn't talk about it at all. So if someone would ask me a question, they'd be like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I work for the government. Then maybe they would start pressing you, you change the subject, and you just basically wouldn't engage them you know, there's that. And then there's sort of an evolution over time where you become a little bit more open about it and you realize, like, look, it's not that big a deal. You know, the people that are inside of our circle of friends know what I do and they may or may not like it, and that's fine. But there's nothing really wrong with talking about it and engaging them if they want to talk about it because the reality is they don't know enough about it to ask you any questions you really shouldn't answer. Most people just want to know if it was really as hard as it looks on TV. That's what they want to know. They want to know if, uh, if it lives up to the hype. Well, actually being at war is like sort of maintaining a certain level of discipline through like the most boring situation you've ever been in your entire life. So maintaining discipline so that you're ready because it's punctuated by like a life and death situation. Punctuation is a good way to look at it. It's the size of a period and compared to a whole book full of everything else. I think there's this tendency to think it's almost like, you know those two guys that were in debate club at your school, that they would get in a debate and they would get so heated you would think they're about to go to blows? And people think that the people who are actually fighting the war are those guys that have just gone to blows. But they're not. Those guys are back in whatever capital, being politicians, arguing with one another, and we just happen to be soldiers. We would talk about it, and it's funny because what would come up would be sort of the same phrase you hear throughout, echoed throughout the military for like eons, back to the Roman times and beyond, which was that you don't fight for the president or the king or anybody else. You're fighting for the guy next to you. That's who you care about. That's your brother. You, and these guys are shooting at your friend, so we're going to go kill him. That's it. Maybe about four or five years after I'd, you know, actually become a SEAL and finished the program, at one point my wife and I kind of like were looking at a calendar or something and, and she kind of made an offhanded joke like, you don't really like live in San Diego. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is where our house is and this is where like our cars are and where my stuff's at. She was like, yeah, but I mean, you're not here most of the time. And, and we kind of looked at the calendar and realized, like, between deployments and training trips, that on average I was not in San Diego over 200 days a year. 
I was fortunate because I married a woman that's very bright and and really independent. And I think during that phase of my life, for me, what I needed was like an anchor. And so, you know, having something consistent there to come home to was important. And, you know, not, not just on deployment, but even just during training trips, because it could be very distracting to just kind of like be in just sort of like this nebulous wash of like, well, where are we going next? And, and not have like a, a place you're anchored to because you're just moving around so much. I think, you know, you kind of have this vision of where your career is going and, and who you are and how you fit into the community. And for me, when my son was born, that was kind of an epiphany that it wasn't quite going to go how I had envisioned it. There was a realization that, like, this lifestyle isn't going to work. I won't be able to raise a child the way I want to raise them if I'm never there. My son had been born before I deployed in, in 2011, and that deployment was like a whole year. We knew going into it, it was a pretty dangerous deployment. And so knowing that, I had made videos of me reading kids' books for Jackson before I left. It was actually kind of like a, an emotional thing to make something like that, realizing like, you know, that might be all he has forever. Because I don't know if I'm coming back, you know, for sure. It seemed you know, likely that I'd be all right, but, but we were definitely seeing a lot of action there at the time. We'll be back right after this. How long has it been since you saw something new in San Diego for the very first time? Well, Hornblower Cruises and Events wants to make that happen for you because you listen to the show. As a listener, Hornblower is offering a $5 discount when you use promo code MFD5D. You can have your own first day on the water, exploring beautiful San Diego. Departure info is at hornblower.com. Make your own first day. And again, just use promo code MFD5D when you buy tickets. Now, still on his nearly year-long deployment, with but a brief R&R trip home during it, Ben keeps up with his growing family and watches his son growing up from a distance. All of this, you know, Jackson is now getting to the age where he's walking around a little bit. And, um, and I'm, you know, we're doing stuff on Skype consistently. I remember like celebrating Christmas on Skype, which is not how you envision celebrating your son's first Christmas on Skype in a funny sort of way, instead of, instead of getting to participate, which is what it probably should be. And from my perspective at the time was just like, well, that just kind of throws it in your face, what you're not able to go do. For some reason in my mind, I had this, this image that I would get home and you'd come, you know, get off the plane. You know, you kind of already know which ramp you're gonna come. So you have a pretty good vision of how it's gonna go down. And for some reason, I just had this vision of, of my wife, you know, like setting Jackson on the, on the ground and him running into my arms. And that would be like the reunion. That totally did not happen. <laughs> he was, he was scared, you know, he was, Barely knew who I was, really. He just, you know, like, buried his face, and it was definitely not the reunion moment you would imagined. For, for me, that was a sort of one of those moments where you're like, that's, 
that's not the childhood I had. That's not the childhood I want for, for my child. You know, I want to be there. That deployment, one in which he left when his son was just a couple weeks old, proved to be Ben's last. He remained a SEAL initially, becoming an instructor, but eventually decided to leave the service behind, and with it, his identity as a Navy SEAL. Like Now that I have actually stayed put for a couple years, it's sort of like a realization that that was like a pretty extreme lifestyle, I guess. It was a pretty unusual way to live life, you know, where you don't have a very personal connection with, like, your neighbors. You know, you don't really go to the same grocery store every week because you're just not there. Even with the children, you know, taking precedent in my life, it wasn't an easy thing to leave. I mean, I think I was talking to a friend the other day, and I, I said, well, like, is there anything you feel like you were born to do? And they said, you know, no, not really. And I said, well, I was born to do that. They, they went through a rigorous process that proved that to me without a doubt. Now I don't do it anymore. And, and I, I can't do it anymore. So that's, um, that's a little tough to process some days, you know. That could be the high, high watermark of my life, you know, doing that. And, I mean, I would be proud of it if, if that was the case. But on the flip side, like, you know, <laughs> you want to live in that moment, that high watermark moment forever, right? Or keep reestablishing that throughout your life. And so to look back and say, like, well, in terms of my professional life, I don't know if I'll ever be able to eclipse that is, um, is tough sometimes. It's definitely different to be in a world where, like, like they're among the brotherhood or the fraternity, like you're not a big deal. But to all, even all the support staff that works with you every day, you're a big deal. They're told day in and day out, your job is to support that person. So now being in a world where like, there's no support, (laughs) you know, um, you got to figure out how to do it. I think um, something that I've struggled with is, is trying to find something to get attached to. Because as long as I was doing that, I had a very clear picture of what my identity was and who I was and what I was doing. And and when you say, like, I'm a Navy SEAL, there's not a lot of, like, oh, well, then what do you do on the weekends kind of questions, right? So, you know, once I got out, a lot of those questions started coming up a lot with people. Well, like, what are you going to do now? Initially, when I got out, I've been into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a long time, and I started competing a lot more and really pouring, like, a lot of energy into that. At some point, I sort of realized like what I was actually doing. I was trying to find who I am and what, what I am now that I'm not a SEAL anymore. I am definitely still like working through those things, and it's, a, it's an ongoing process, you know. I'd say right now I'm in the, like a strange like transition point. It's, honestly, it's been a challenge, you know. Yeah, identity is like a funny thing. Your identity is like, it's, it's your own decision 
about who you are, right? I mean, everyone else will view you as they view you and what they see and have their own perceptions, but the way you actually have your own identity, that's kind of something you get to choose. And so I think when you make a big change in your life, it's um, it's like an interesting evolution where you kind of like make a decision about like, who am I? What, it, what, is, what does it mean to be me? Since leaving the SEALs, Ben went back to school and received his MBA from UCLA in 2017. After having been an avid brewer for a few years, Ben joined a brewery formed by some former Navy SEALs. He then went on to start his own brewing company called Jackson Harper Brewing, named after his two kids. Thanks for listening. You can find more on our Instagram, My First Day Stories. Our email is myfirstdaystories at gmail.com. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken. Additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Chris Curtis, Will Bangs, Alan Singley, Andrew Bracken, and David Sestay. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is Programming Coordinator, Nate John is Innovation Specialist, Emily Jankowski is Media Protection Specialist, Jill Linder is Programming Manager, Lisa Jane Morissette is Operations Manager, and John Decker is Director of Programming. Thanks for listening. <laughs>